Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. Last week, Cam sort of stated very authoritatively that the title of last week's episode was Time Transitions and Hyperfocus Part 1. Well, as we were discussing today, we're going to back off a little bit and we're going to get to that part two, which is really going to be around hyperfocus. But I wanted to zoom out today and talk about why those of us with ADHD view time as the enemy. Cam, have you had that experience? I have had that experience, Shelley. And um, yeah, time is the enemy. I'm behind time. Right. That that our relationship with with time is often adversarial, right? It's it's not that time is an ally or a friend or a resource, but it's this thing that is very hard to understand, and it's something we have to beat, or um, you know, black belt, uh, ninja, right? Hack. Yeah, we're either so. trying to sneak around it or beat it into submission. Right. Right. Neither of which really tends to work out that well for us. Um, we, when we do that, we often get into that try everything that you and I have discussed at length in previous episodes. So the reason I am so interested in this topic, particularly today, is I just returned from a trip to Houston where I spoke over two days at MD Anderson Cancer Center. And three of my presentations were ADHD related. And one was a general time management talk, which I do frequently. But on day two, I actually presented the general time management talk, followed by an ADHD specific time management talk. And as I was putting these two together and thinking about how they relate to each other, it really struck me how different the conversation really is when ADHD is on board. And that's what we're going to dig into today. So first, I kind of want to talk about neurotypical time management, right? And I have some experience here. So I'm not a neurotypical, but I've worked with many neurotypicals and spoken with many neurotypicals on the topic of time management over the years. And the talk that I delivered last week is one that I have given over and over again, always to great results and great feedback, right? But the interesting thing about neurotypical time management is it's pretty easy to diagnose, Cam. It kind of blows my mind how easy it is to diagnose. What do you mean by diagnose, Shelley? So I don't mean diagnose in a clinical sense, but I mean as the problem solver, right? as the productivity consultant or professional organizer, two hats that I wore a lot in a previous career. You know, you're kind of digging around trying to parse out where are the breakdowns and what are the challenges, right? And so with neurotypicals, that's often what it is. It's about finding the functional breakdowns, right? Or it's about just simply being unrealistic about what is possible right? Or being in a work environment that has unrealistic demands on time, right? So it's either a very quantifiable and solvable functional challenge, or it is a challenge of simply being unrealistic, right? It's very black and white. Right. And there's no lunch counter here. Yeah, there's no lunch counter. There's no barrier, right? It's a pretty 
clear line between point A and point B. Yeah. And so like very briefly, let me kind of tell you what my quote unquote neurotypical time management talk entails. It's intended to get people thinking about the things that I have seen over my career that they tend to miss sort of the high level functional pieces that are missing. I call it three-step time management. Step one is write it down. I talk about perspective memory, which is the part of our brain that helps us remember to remember at the right time and right place. And perspective memory relies on cues. So if we don't provide ourselves with cues, we are very prone to not remembering at the right time and right place. True for ADHDers, true for neurotypicals, right? So that phenomenon of getting up and walking into another room and forgetting why you got there, right? What, what did I come into this room for? That's a perspective memory failure. You were interrupted either in, internally or externally on your way to the other room. So then you go back to your original starting point and what happens? Either you see a cue that reminds you what you went to get in the first place or you don't and you still can't remember, right? Really simple stuff. Step two is all around distinguishing and prioritizing. So I talk about the four quadrants. And I also talk about not just looking at what is productive, but also what is constructive, right? Not discounting self-care and the things that refill your tank. And part three is around planning, right? Three steps. And people find this revolutionary. It blows my mind every time I give this talk. <laughs> it's, it's really, really simple stuff. And I'm oversimplifying it. This, this is an hour-long talk. You're in the wrong place. You ought to be out on the road, like, showcasing this, right? Yeah, I'm telling you, people, because it's, you know, it's sort of taking time management for neurotypicals and getting away from the the lists and the methods and just getting down to the super basic, this is the stuff you need to be thinking about, right? And the thing is, is every time I give that talk, especially when I'm not giving an ADHD specific talk right after, there's always that one ADHD in the room. And I can tell by what questions they start to ask, right? Because they're not functional questions, they're emotional questions, right? I, I, I just can't motivate myself to action, you know? I avoid, I get distracted. What do I do about that stuff? Well, that's an entirely different conversation. So when I started putting together the ADHD time management talk, it looked very different. There was no process or system or method. What there was is a massive discussion around cause and effect and the lunch counter, right? I walked people through that being down in effect and what that looks like, sort of saddling up to the lunch counter over and over again. And how it takes time and it takes doing that multiple times to really start to see what the cause is, right? As we start to see how our individual symptoms manifest together, we get to cause. Right. Notice and I'm not I'm, saying anything about time. Yeah. And so just to, to allude back to 
the metaphor pot, uh, episodes of 10 and 11 around Mount Rainier and this lunch counter. Shelley's alluding to this, you know, this, this lunch counter, which is, it's something that's helpful, but it's also a barrier, right? It, it is, and this barrier between cause and effect, as we just were discussing with neurotypicals, it's often that, you know, the challenges are more functional. And again, as you share these three elements of write it down, uh, distinguish and prioritize and plan, it's like light bulbs are going off, right? Light bulbs are going off and they're sort of finding the passageway, easy passages through the lunch counter from effect to cause, right? And making these connections between cause and effect. But with ADHD, you can see how, again, with that person in the audience where it's, they're, they're not making that connection because not only can they not get up to the lunch counter, right? They're, they're, they're mired you know, down in the depths of effect of, and, and that emotional response of that, of that failure. You were talking about cues earlier, right? And having the right cues. You know, I'm just thinking about, we did a, we did a, a episode on self-talk, right? And when you have that cue queuing up, it's sort of knocking out our plan. And it's like, well, here you are again, right? Spinning your wheels, that inner critic. And again, it's I so appreciate this this whole distinction here and recognizing where we start, right? You're not starting with the techniques. And this, I think, so many people with ADD, what they think is they've got to come at it like a neurotypical, right? Just give me the tool, right? But I so appreciate, Charlie, that you're really looking at more in the sense of how is the ADD or ADHD coming into play here, client? To see that and start to use our process of understand, own it, translate it. Absolutely. And the really funny thing here is those of us with ADHD are objectively actually really good at problem solving, right? For looking at an objective process at work. We're really good at seeing the inefficiencies and cutting out the garbage. That's what made me so good at being a business-oriented professional organizer, even though I have ADHD, right? We are really, really good at that stuff objectively. But when we try and solve our own time management challenges with process first, we're failing to address the real challenge, right? Being down in effect not being able to activate, having all of this negative self-talk sort of driving our motivation or lack of motivation, not being able to reflect on and learn from our experience, right? I talked about ARC, you know, that adrenaline response cycle, and every head in the room was nodding because everyone was having a new awareness that, hey, I am good under pressure, but that's not the whole story. There's a downside to this and I'm discounting that. So it was really interesting to see all of the new awarenesses popping up in the room. And my big point by starting with cause and effect and the lunch counter work was that none of this is discreetly related to time. It's related to ADHD, but the effects 
that other people see the lateness and the missed deadlines and the not showing up and all of that stuff looks like poor time management. And a neurotypical is going to tell you, you need to work on your time management. Right. And that poor time management then is conveyed into, well, they're not dedicated. Right. They're not invested. Um, they're, are, are they a part of the team? Right. Is that humans when they don't have, you know, ADHD is something that is really hard to understand from the outside. Um, one of my blog posts coming up is, it's around this metaphor of like modern art in the sense of, um, we, we tend to be a study in contrast. Right. And, that's good for a piece of art. It's not great for um, being a part of a, an effective team, right? Where you're kind of a conundrum, a mystery, an enigma. Often paradoxical too. Yeah, paradoxical. And and when people don't have an answer, they fill in the blank. And so it's like he's smart. She's talented. She cares, right? Um, and yet, you know, why can't she come to this meeting on time and prepared? So they make up stuff. Yeah. So the second section after cause and effect of my talk was all on that. It was called ADHD and what others assume. And the thing is, is since we are wired for context, we hear those assumptions, right? And we try to solve for those things. We're trying to solve for laziness or leaving sooner. But for us, those are still at effect. They're not at cause, right? Right. For a neurotypical, being on time is often a functional challenge of let's walk through your morning. Let's find out where the hangups are. Let's figure out what we can do the night before right? And get a realistic picture of what's possible in the morning so that you can get out the door on time. But for those of us with ADHD, it's not the functional stuff. It's the other stuff. We play an effect, right? So then when we're late, what we do is we compensate in other areas like uh, take on more work, right? Like say yes to more projects. I just did a video with Renee Brooks about defending your yes you know, people pleasing, right? Or signing up for more committees, overextending. And then you see how it really gets to be problematic. The other thing, what you just said about what's realistic, getting a realistic picture, right? That it's a matter of function. That's part of the ADD dilemma is it's really tough for us to create a realistic picture with respect to time, because I think we said this last week, you know, our ability to construct a, a understanding of time or to have a conception of, to conceptualize time is extremely difficult. We talked about how it can go by very quickly. It can go by very slowly. And just that having that understanding of time that is not there and available right? It's, it's on the other side of the lunch counter. It's up in causation. Yeah. Plus when we look at functional things, right? With a neurotypical, 
or with a person with ADHD, walking through what needs to happen in the morning, what needs to happen the night before, what other barriers exist, right? Things like maybe laundry isn't being put away. So I have to dig around for clean clothes. With a neurotypical, walking through that sort of function and what needs to change is pretty straightforward and it's usually pretty accurate. But for us and our contextual brains, we're often missing things. We're missing other things that we do or don't do that we're not aware of in that time, right? We're getting distracted because we're linking things together in that morning time that should be reserved for certain activities because that's the way that our brains work. But we're not really noticing that. All we know is we're late again, despite the fact that we went through all the functional stuff and we tried to have a plan. We're still walking out the door late. Right. And you talk about cues. You know, if you don't have the right cues, the cues will find their way in. Right. And as you walk in, you're like, oh, you know, that picture's a skew. Right. Need to fix that now. Right? Oh, and the dog's shedding. I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, brush the dog. Right. You know, it could be a seven minute thing, but that seven minutes adds up. The other thing is, this goes back to last week around time transitions and hyperfocus and how we don't see or appreciate the transitions that are in our day of moving from one event to another, where a neurotypical will calculate that almost automatically. Those of us with ADHD, that whole transition thing, this is another phenomenal thing that's up at causation, right? It's that gradation. It's those shades of gray. It's related to the ability to prioritize, right? Not the all or nothing, which is I'm in the event, I'm out of the event. But we we transition in and we transition out. We notoriously have challenges around those transition areas. Yeah. So the entire point that I was making in this talk and kind of trying to take the work that we were doing in this podcast and nutshell it down to an hour long talk, which is very difficult, by the way, there's audacious, so audacious. much more that I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to be able to say. But the point that I was trying to make then and the point that I'm trying to make now is that we have to distinguish between what is actually time related and a time related challenge. And we have some of those. Cam just named a bunch. A couple more for you are the fact that A, as people with ADHD, we have shorter time horizons. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you think about the actual horizon, if you're standing on the beach looking at a ship way out on the horizon, right? When it's really far away, you're not going to be able to tell much about it. Can't really tell size, type, can't make out much detail, certainly can't see color. But as it starts to get closer, things get a little clearer. You can really start to see how big or how small it is. What's the scale? And as it gets closer still, you can start making out finer details. The color of the sails, the color of the bow, what kind of materials, maybe even the name of the boat. Boats have really fun names, right? Now, time horizon is much the same idea. It's the point in the future in which time feels real. 
and actionable. For neurotypicals, the estimate is two to four months. And I've had the opportunity to talk about time horizon and ADHD in front of several neurotypical audiences. So before I reveal that, I usually kind of pull the room. And quite a few neurotypicals feel like they have six months. I had a couple that even claimed a year. But for those of us with ADHD, two to three days to two to three weeks. This is the root of the now or not now phenomenon. So then you add in temporal discounting. And what that is, is the farther into the future a reward or punishment is, the less connected we are to the impact. And that's true for everyone. But with our much shorter time horizons, this is how we end up on the arc cycle, right? Because two to three days to two to three weeks, we don't feel the impact of that reward or punishment until the thing is right on top of us. So we do have some challenges with time itself. That's very true. But a lot of what looks like poor time management is at the lunch counter and at cause and at ADHD and not really related to time at all, even though the effects look like poor time management. Can you give some examples of what those would be, Shelley? So the big broad one is the word procrastination. And I had my rant about this word, right? Mm -hmm. The definition of yeah. procrastination is to intentionally put off something that should be done. And every client that comes to me wants me to solve quote unquote procrastination. But when you really start digging around in what we're calling procrastination, that gap between intention and action, we get into being deep in effect and being sort of so stuck in the emotional brain and the limbic that we can't activate. We see the problem, we see it in acute technicolor, but we can't shift from that awareness to engagement. Cam, I used your prolific idea generator as an, and your I don't complete as another example. From the outside, it looked like you weren't working because there was no money in the bank account. That got big laughs, by the way. So thanks for, uh, <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> thanks for sharing that story so that I could borrow it. But awesome. you know, from the outside, it, it looked like you weren't working, but effort was there. Completion wasn't. And right. you and had to, and completion on things that mattered. Right. So, but you had to do the work. Over time, once you had that awareness, I don't complete, right? You had to dig around and figure out what's really going on there so that you could become a completer. That wasn't poor management of the hours in the day. That was poor management of the prolific idea generator because you didn't realize the prolific idea generator was on board and was causing you to not complete, right? So that's that understand, own translate stuff. Right. Well, and back to procrastination and the you know, being in effect, being in an emotional state, right? And sort of a, having an emotional response that is, I think, directly related to the fact that we've got this glitchy activator, right? And back to last week, when we talked about doers and planners, 
and that you, you really can't be effective in a high functioning team environment if you're not able to be able to go back and forth between planning and doing. And that's not right. back and forth at an extreme, right? It's moving through the phases between. Right. Again, back to these, these, any model of change that you look up, there's going to be this awareness state and this activity state and reflection state, right? What did I learn? It's a basic learning model. And so that is the real dilemma, right? There's the ADHD dilemma. And you can see why we don't just look at one topic at a time, right? They're so interrelated. Today, we're looking at time and time-related issues versus uh, ADHD-related issues. Last week, we were looking at transitions. Next week, we're going to be looking at hyperfocus. It's very hard to pull these apart because they're so much uh, related to each other. But when we get up to the lunch counter and sit there and realize, again, what is this procrastination and and we keep referring to the lunch counter. If you haven't listened to those episodes 10 and 11, the lunch counter is about reframing, right? It's knowing what you know about your ADHD and those symptoms that present, but starting to reframe that and digging deeper into what contributes to that procrastination, specifically related to ADHD. Right, back to that glitchy Rubik's Cube, right? the executive function that has a hard time twisting, back to that little arcade claw that won't let go. If you're kind of holding on to a task and you're still working on it and you can't stop working on it and transition out, guess what? The effect is poor time management. It's not the actual cause. So seeing how they relate, the reason why Shelly and I are pushing at all these different pushing in this direction in the sense of zooming out and seeing these connections is actually that's an actual ADHD super strength right is to step back and appreciate the context we're building frames around these related issues so you can see the connection between them because your problem is not just time Right? Your problem is not just procrastination. It is very complicated, but it's also worth finding ways to make the connections. Earlier, Shelly was talking about, we talked about how with neurotypicals and time, it's often this, um, oh, okay, here's my problem, right? And then I can apply it. For ADHD, there is that lunch counter or barrier between recognizing the problem and solving it for a solution. But it's, it doesn't mean it's not worth going on this journey. That's the other thing is that you have to have hope and optimism here. And the reason why we're doing this podcast is because of the work we've done with people in the past and the results we've seen. It's not easy. It's very frustrating to have a glitchy prospective memory where you don't remember to remember. And you just, it's, and yet 
when you start to make inroads here and appreciate the impact of that glitchy prospective memory, then we can start to reinforce and practice in these areas. Yeah, and, and it you, gets easier over time, right? Exactly. Because the more you know about your own experience, the more you can notice when certain things show up. I had this with a client just a couple of weeks ago. We had previously named, so this would be a lunch counter, sort of level one symptom, the ruminator. And when Cam says reframe at the lunch counter, it's not about trying to turn a negative into a positive, but it's about seeing the whole picture. So the ruminator had my client really stuck on an action because he was envisioning all the possible negative outcomes. It was kind of an uncomfortable thing that he needed to do. And he was ruminating in circles. But the flip side of the ruminator is the ruminator has kept him out of trouble before by doing that same thing. So for him, it was about A, acknowledging that the ruminator is a useful voice, but it's not always useful, right? When I get into going through the same thought circles, the ruminator stops being useful. And now when he goes there, he can name that. I've heard you, ruminator, right? We've already walked down all these different potential forking paths. I've heard you and I've made my decision. So and, your say is over. Right. And those things you're pointing out that are, were scaring me before, well, okay, they're just not having that effect. I'm seeing them now objectively. And I'm not going to be just triggered by it or cued by it. But I'm going to take it in and orient myself to it but keep moving forward. And I love what you said earlier, Shelly, about as you practice, it gets easier, right? There is no easy door through the lunch counter from effect to cause. As you said, it was like some people would just like, you know, just give me, give me the explosive to blow the lunch counter so I can just easily move back and forth. Um, it's not going to be that way, but as you get your torch and find your ways through the, the tunnels, you can start dropping breadcrumbs, right? And, and leaving markers. And that just that passage back and forth, you find shorter and shorter ways to really to start to make these connections. And so this is two words I really love that are very helpful here is resilience and resourcefulness, right? Resilience is that ability to, to get back into the saddle quicker because that's another thing that happens with ADHD is we we sort of fall off our work whatever we're doing and it takes a, a tremendous amount of effort to get back in the game um, and so we can shorten that time period well guess what you get a benefit of better time management with resourcefulness it's about knowing which door to pull on because what we're doing is we're often at the lunch counter pulling on all these false doors that won't open, right? Again, a time management problem. But if we know we can mark the door that's most effective to get through and, and see these connections and these relationships, and that it's not just a time problem, then you can make, make those different plans. You can prioritize and you can activate and and create change that you want to create. Well said, well said. I think that's 
a really good spot for us to kind of stop for today. But before we do, I want to throw in one more thing from last week. It's a question that I was asked by someone in the audience. Kind of after I went through that section on ADHD and what other people assume, right? That they assume we don't care enough or we're lazy or unmotivated. She asked me, and I, by the way, I had no idea what my answer was going to be until I opened my mouth. But she asked me, how do I know when it's ADHD and when I'm just lazier, maybe some in relation to myself or someone else, right? How do you make that distinction? And my answer was, I don't believe in lazy. I even said, I'm going to give you a big, bold answer. I don't believe in lazy. And that comes from my years of experience working with people, neurotypical, ADHD, and otherwise, with organizational and productivity challenges, right? All of which might label themselves as lazy being a cause. But there's always something else going on. Heavy life stress, financial issues, ADHD, depression, anxiety, right? When you really dig around for any person behind lazy, lazy is a symptom. It's not a cause. I don't believe that any human is inherently lazy and that lazy lives at cause. Right. They look lazy. Right. Right. Yeah. But they're not you know, being necessarily lazy. Yeah. All right. So on that note, if you like what we're doing here on the podcast, you can help us out by leaving a rating and review wherever you listen. If you have feedback to share or just want to tell Cam he's totally awesome, you can hit us up on Twitter at TranslatingADHD or via the website TranslatingADHD.com. Until next time, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this was Translating ADHD. Thanks for listening.